Well, I think we did church today. What do you think? If you're a first-time visitor, this is just typical. God bless you. We love you all, and uh, thank you for being here in our seventh month of peaceful protest. We will never close. As the edicts of the little Napoleon get stronger, so do we. We're in a battle. In case you don't know it, it's, uh, it's not just a battle for the republic that we know. It is a battle for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. It's a battle that will determine the future, not only of a nation, but of a people that have proclaimed Christ for more than 200 years around the world. There's never been a nation that has had a more powerful missionary sending force than this nation. There has never been a more generous nation to support those around the world for the cause of Christ than this nation. When you take away the foundation of any house, of any building, you erode the building itself. You cannot focus on the building and go higher and higher and forget the foundation. A number of years ago, there was a fire close by, and a good friend of ours lost his home. And the fire was so intense that when they did the study of the foundation, they found that the temperatures had reached over 6,000 degrees and had melted the steel inside the concrete. They had to tear the concrete out because the foundation was no longer stable. And I'm praying that we save the republic before the metal that makes us strong as a people melts and becomes worthless. The great civilizations of the world all have something in common. People begin to multiply and form cities. Governments develop and kings emerge. The pattern is consistent, power concentrated in an individual's hands. Usually during a crisis, an internal instability, an external attack, a military conquest, or an economic benefit of some kind. The term tyranny describes the arbitrary or unrestrained exercise of power or authority. Never did we think we would be living in a day of tyranny, but we certainly in California understand the concept. The term tyranny describes the arbitrary or unrestrained exercise of power or authority. Quarantine is when you restrict the movement of sick people. Tyranny is when you restrict the movement of healthy people. I grew up on military bases. My dad retired as a colonel from the Army. And I can still recall being on one base when people wore masks because of tuberculosis. But no one else wore a mask. No one else seemed to be in danger of one of the most deadly diseases that mankind has ever known. And guess what? Though I walked hand in hand with people with TB, I did not get TB. 
Something to think about, isn't it? America's at a watershed moment in history. The very words written in our Constitution are questioned by those who promise us a brighter future without the rule of law, without God, without truth. We are on the verge of becoming a banana republic. You may not know what that term means. You may think of it as a clothing outlet in your local mall. But the author, writer, O. Henry, fled his country and went to Honduras the turn of the century. There he observed Honduras being run and overrun by the politics of the United Fruit Company, later to be known as Chiquita Banana. So powerful was their input and their hand in that nation that they controlled the politics, they controlled the movement of people, and in a book, he coined the phrase, it was a banana republic. We are living on the verge of a banana republic where tech and media controls the politics of a nation. No longer do the people, we the people, seem to have a voice. It seems to be a banana republic is on our horizon. John Adams said our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other people. Take our Constitution, put it in another nation without God or without the God of the Bible, and it is a worthless document altogether. We launched in July a new ministry called American Faith. You can find it on AmericanFaith.com. We've had a number of initiatives that we have uh, taken on since we began in July. One of the ones that we really are excited about is a distribution of my book, One Nation Without Law, uh, to all the police precincts and anyone in law enforcement that would like a copy. We have taken cases of those to law enforcement uh, precincts and departments all across Orange County and in LA. Last week, last week we were, before we received a third printing of the book, we, sh we only had 27 books left. We sent them to the uh, South LA Highway Patrol Department, and they went up so fast, they said, can you send us another three cases? And so we are going to give three cases to them uh, today. They will take them there and give them to their officers. And we are so excited to get the message out. We're giving them to them absolutely free. Many of you have helped us with that, and we thank you for that. But American faith, we aim to return America to the values that shaped our nation. It is not without direction, it is not without purpose, it is not without passion that we launch into this endeavor. It is our goal to inspire people to love their country and to love their Lord. It's our goal to support candidates who are conservative, who will hold true to the values that we believe America was built upon. What's ahead? In 2021, we plan to launch American Faith as a national media network to bring together some of the best conservative thought leaders and cultural leaders that we find today in America. We will influence California politics to stem the tide of liberalism. I don't believe Christians should flee a state because it's not comfortable. 
I don't believe you as a Christian should flee anything because it's not, because it's not easy. We are called to be missionaries. We're not called to go inside the mission compound and hide in Christian cultures and subgroups so that we can appease our own feelings and live a comfortable, easy life. This world is not our home. We are citizens here, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to stand in the middle of the storm and proclaim Jesus. And by the way, in case you don't know your history, never has there been a state like California that has birthed more revivals than any other state in the United States. The soil is rich in this state for God, and we're going to be a part of a great move of God, a great revival of God. We're gonna stand for truth, we're gonna stand for God, even in the midst of difficulty. We will equip Christians to stand on their constitutional rights. We will secure a nationally recognized editor-in-chief to direct the effort that we're about. In the days ahead, many of you have asked already, how can I get involved? And I say, just pray at this point. Shoot us an email and say, here's what I can do, here's what I can offer, here's how I'd like to be involved. I love we had one young man came up and he said, I don't have any money to buy books to give to the police officers, but I'd be happy to deliver them. That's a big help. Get in your car, drive them around, walk up and say, we've got some books for you. And how great is that, amen? Today I wanna talk to you a little bit about the beginning of human government from the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Genesis chapter 10. We're gonna begin looking in verse eight. We're gonna focus in on an individual by the name of Nimrod. His name literally means in the Hebrew, rebel. He was a rebel against God. Already we see that we've come through the great flood. Mankind has reestablished civilization. Cities are being formed and Nimrod becomes a key component in what's happening in human government. In fact, his was the first human government or human kingdom on earth. He was a rebel against God. He was behind the building of the Tower of Babel that would later become the very nation, the kingdom of Babylon. We'll talk about that as we go through the scriptures today. But let's look at our text. Nimrod, a mighty one on the earth. Now, the word mighty might kind of seem mild and not too significant, but it really means a violent man. He was, he was one who was a controller of people. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and it, literally the nuance in the Hebrew means that he opposed the Lord. He did what he wanted. He hunted men. He hunted opportunity. He hunted everything in opposition to God. It is said like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now, the reason it's called Babel is because it comes from the word to babble on or to have an indistinct voice, and we know that this is how God turned the course of human history in the book of Genesis. When the Tower of Babel was being built up into the skies, it was not just a skyscraper. It was what we would call an obelisk. Uh, in the Islamic religion, it's called a minaret. The Japanese have the pagoda. Uh, many, many different names come uh, around that, but it, the idea is it's a religious feature uh, filled with all kinds of different religious symbols and pictures, and the idea is that there's a false god behind every obelisk. 
Washington, D.C. has a very famous uh, obelisk. It's called the Washington Monument. It's an exact replica of the Egyptian obelisk that you find in history. You see it replicated all around the world. It's not insignificant, and it's not uh, religious neutral by any step of the imagination. But we'll talk about that maybe at another time. But going back to Nimrod, he founded the first human kingdom, Babylon. Now, let me just say this, and we'll try to cover this a little bit later. Babylon is the first human kingdom. It's also the last human kingdom on earth. Because Babylon, the great whore, is judged in Revelation chapter 17. It's not just a country. Sometimes we think of things and, and names and titles, and we think in terms of just a person or a place. But remember, it's also a mindset and a spiritual force. And so Nimrod founded the Babylonian mystery religion. He claimed to be a follower of this religion that brought together all these different gods, and he served these gods, and he worshiped these gods. And we see that mankind, because of the way we're wired, we're wired for God. We're wired for religion, if you will. And if we can't find the true religion, we'll follow a false religion. We'll always have something that's going to capture our attention, that's going to give our devotion, our money, our time, that we're going to worship, we're going to lift up. And may I just say that idolatry is putting anything or anyone above the true and the living God. So you can have your children can be your idols, your job can be your idols, your 401k can be your idol. Anything that takes devotion away from God is an idol in your life. And we know as Christians we can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and despise the other, or just love that one and despise the other. But you can't be divided. Duplicity is never a part of the Christian life. To live in two camps, to live in two worlds, doesn't work with the Word of God. I believe in these last days that we're living that God is raising up a different caliber of Christian, a Christian who's willing to really be a Christian, a person who's really willing to stand even when opposed, who's willing to walk in the power of God and not in the power of just a hobby. Many Christians are hobbyists. They get it out when their friends come over and show them their stamp collection. They get their Christianity out when it's convenient, and they show them their Christianity, and the rest of the time, they forget about their hobby. I want you to know that when the pressure comes, hobbyists will not be in vogue. Do you hear me? You see, in the past, even the last year, hobbyists in the Christianity world were in vogue. It was cool to go to church when you wanted to and live for Jesus when you wanted to and pray when you wanted to and talk when you, about Jesus when you wanted to. That's hobbyist Christians. But I want you to know that day is going away. All across California, more than 40,000 churches today are closed. And they've been closed since March. About 1,500 or so, maybe 2,000 churches in California are open today. What do you think happens when you turn off the lights on a church for seven or eight months? You think you're going to turn them back on sometime in January and it's just going to be the same? You think you can go back to business as normal and usual? It just doesn't work that way. Try to turn off your Christianity for seven days and see how long it lasts. 
Mankind longs for religion. Today, today's God is a God of health and safety. We have put safety and health above everything else on planet Earth. You realize that one out of four college students have contemplated suicide since COVID began? The social isolation, the separation, killing our society. One-third of the restaurants in America predicted to be out of business forever. One restaurant owner in our own church went out of business after 25 years. 1,500 people have died in Orange County since this began, according to the record I pulled up this morning. 1,500 out of 3.5 million. Do the math, it's point with 5073. It's easier to die from a coconut falling in your head than to die from COVID. And I don't mean to make light of it because it's a serious issue in many people's lives. But I want you to know we live as human beings with risk. You cannot avoid risk. But you cannot, you cannot make the cure worse than the disease. You can't do that. Let's talk a little bit about a one-world government because it's, it's introduced to us in the book of Genesis, chapter 11. We go back to Nimrod. It says, the whole earth had one language and one speech. Now, you'll notice it's interesting here because it doesn't say one language or one speech. It says one language and one speech. And the idea was that there was a mindset, that we're speaking the same language. Men, have you ever had your wife say we never communicate? But you're talking all the time. That means because you're speaking a different language. Are you with me on this one? The words are coming out, but there's something not connecting to the language. I don't really understand how women think. I'm just going to be honest with you, even mine. Because I'll ask her, do you want to go here? And she'll start spider webbing some story. I don't even know where it's going. So I tried the tactic on her just the other night. And she said, is that a yes or a no? And I said, I got you. <laughs> hey, the difference is made for a purpose. Otherwise, husbands and wives would just grunt at each other with one-word sentences. Right? It takes the women to kind of get us talking a little bit. Now, my wife says, I don't, need, I don't have that problem, but I, apparently I do. Anyway, it says, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is to the heavens. Now, I want you to notice the play on words here. God said in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. Do you remember that? And of course, he was the, the us he was referring to was the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. This is a clear play on words. This is a clear attack on the Trinity because they said, let us. Forget about them. Forget about the Trinity. Forget about God. Let us make a name for ourselves. God's name is being used too much in this world. Let us make a name for ourselves. It's the diminishment of God and his presence. He said, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. You see, this is exactly what God said for man to do. 
He said they were supposed to replenish the earth and fill the earth. In other words, to scatter all across the earth. And they said, we're not going to scatter. We're going to stay right here in this place. Genesis 11, verses 6 through 9. The Lord said, the people are one. That is, their thinking is all on the same wavelength. They all have one language. That is, they can communicate well to one another. They know what each other's thinking, so to speak. And this is what they will begin to do. Now, nothing that they purpose will be withheld from them. In other words, if man speaks the same language, if he's thinking down the same path, then he will, he will absolutely exploit in the negative way the image of God on planet Earth. In other words, he will do everything to push God out of the situation. So God says, come let us. Notice the play on words. Come let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us go down and confuse their language. Now, the reason I love this, to me, I always laugh when I come to this little part because when our kids were little, we had these building blocks and they would take blocks and they'd put a book in between it and they'd build higher and higher and higher and they'd put little people on different levels and then when it was all done, they would absolutely destroy it as boys would are likely to do. They'd throw a shoe at it, They'd run a truck into it, any way to destroy the tower. But before they did, they would say, Dad, come look at what we've built. And you know what I would do? I'd either sit down on the floor or I'd squat down and I'd see it because it was so much smaller than I was, I had to see, let me see what it looks like. God says, your tower is so small. Are you with me? Let me squat down or sit on the floor so I can see this little thing that you have built. Your towers may be big in your own mind, but they are small to God. Amen? Don't try to build your own tower. Go into God's tower. The Bible says in Psalms, Thou, O Lord, are my tower and my strength, my refuge, and into you will I run. Go into the tower of the Almighty God, and there you will be safe. It goes on here to say, uh, let's go down and confuse their language. Why do we speak different languages? I look around, I know many of you, and I see different language groups. I see Romanians, and I see Armenians, and I see Spanish, and I see all these different language groups, you know, speaking different things. How did that come about? came about because God said, I'm going to confuse your language. My son Josh, you've heard him here. He's preached before. He took three years of Spanish, and all he can say is hola. But he was smart enough to marry a woman who grew up in Quito, Ecuador, as a missionary's daughter, and she's fluent. So she can step in when he can. But the confusing of the language, and it says that they may not understand have you ever watched the United Nations and how they've got translators and, and they're trying to translate what another world leader is saying and then you'll see a, a scowl on the face of one and it's like they don't understand what's going on. Even with the best translators and interpreters, you can run into a problem, amen? And that's what God said, that's what I'm gonna do, that's my strategy. So it goes on to say, so the Lord scattered them. The people who all spoke one language, they went over there, and other people went over there, and other people went over there. And they went abroad from all over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. 
Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. You see, there's a lot of power in language. Do you realize the Bible says you will be held accountable for every idle word that you speak? What is an idle word? An idle word is something that just doesn't have any meaning, have any significance. God said every word that you speak is significant and powerful. Use your words wisely. Temper your words. Guard your mouth lest the wrong words come out of your mouth. You see, there is the word of God. Have you thought about this? God, when he wanted to reveal himself to us, he revealed himself as the written word of God. So we take our Bibles and say, this is the word of God. It's written. It's not God's ideas. It's God's word. It literally is a word that means the inspiration or the breath of God. When you read the word of God, you're reading the breath of God. You're reading the character, the nature, the power of Almighty God. It is not insignificant when you read it. The Bible says in Hebrews, it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it, it slices through the division of the soul and the spirit and the bone and the marrow, and it reveals the true intentions of the heart. When you read the word of God, there's a reason you sometimes feel bad. Are you with me? Because something's wrong. You ever had a wound and somebody's gonna help you with it? The first thing they wanna do is pour something on it that stings. I thought as a child it was a bad strategy. I didn't know what my mom was up to. She hated me. This is how I get even. No, we're gonna put alcohol on. My dad was in the military and it seemed like in the military the only thing they really had to solve all problems was iodine. And iodine is kind of a, a reddish kind of a colored medicine, and it was pretty effective in killing a lot of different germs. But you wore that little red dot on you for at least a week and a half. You see, things that sometimes hurt us turn out to help us. If you live a world in a worldview that says, I only want comfort and no pain, you will never grow as a human being. You will become a victim, and you will blame others for your unfortunate situation in life. When God wants to apply a little pain, he does it so that you become a better human being. Amen? It's also the spoken word. You realize that God spoke the world into existence. So it's not just written, it's spoken. You realize when you read the word of God out loud that you're speaking the word of God, you're speaking life over a situation? In fact, Revelation says that blessed are those who hear it, those who read it, and those who speak it. In other words, you can read the book of Revelation and get blessed and not understand one word. Isn't that good news? How many of you have ever been in the book of Revelation, got caught up in about chapter 11 and said, I don't know what's going on here, but it doesn't look good. Amen? Right? You go, I don't know what's happening here, but I don't want to be during, alive during this thing. You realize that even though you don't understand that God says in that book, I will bless you. Because why? It's the living word of God. It's not only the spoken, it's living. It's living in your life. But you see, we're living in a day where there is a destruction of language. Language is being destroyed before our very eyes. When I studied at Oxford, one of the things I studied was something called the linguistic de-evolution of words. And what that means, it sounds like a big word, but let's just kind of take it apart. Linguistic, it has to do with language, right? 
De-evolution, that means the words start losing their meaning. So we're living in a day when words have usage and not meaning. If I say something bad, do I mean it's bad or do I mean it's good? That's a simple illustration. So now the question comes, is our Constitution really valid? They didn't mean that, so it doesn't have meaning anymore. Now it has usage. So just recently, I noticed that the Democratic Party wanted to destroy and get rid of the Electoral College. Well, it's a part of our Constitution. You see, usually you get rid of stuff because you don't like it, you don't agree with it. And as, as frail as we are as human beings, we try to make life even worse. But you see, if, if words don't have meaning, then the Word of God doesn't have meaning in your life. It's just another religious book. I don't know if you recently saw the, parla, uh, the leader of Parliament uh, for Canada. He came out, and this is not new, by the way, and he talked about publicly very vocally on television, The Great Reset. How many of you have heard about The Great Reset? Just a handful of you. You're gonna, all of you can raise your hands when I get done here. All right, you can say, I know about it now. The, great, the World Economic Forum, some of the planet's most powerful business and government officials and activists announced a proposal to reset the global economy. Now that sounds interesting, doesn't it? What does that mean? How does that happen in our world? We've seen a couple of uh, uh, shots at that in America after World War II. We began to see uh, things shift a little bit. In 1971, Nixon shifted a little bit and got us completely away from gold and silver standards and a reserve, and just became paper notes that are technically worthless. That's why the government can approve a trillion dollars here and there, because it's not real money anyway. It's just an idea. Instead of traditional capitalism, the article goes on to say, the high-profile group said the world should adapt a more socialistic policy. Ah, now we understand where they're going. Capitalism is bad. Socialism is good. Socialism says that capitalism is bad. Therefore, you don't have a right to start a business and have a successful life because you might be more successful than your neighbor, and that would be unfair. So what we're going to do is we're going to limit those who have a lot of drive and a lot of passion, a lot of strong work ethic, so that we can equalize them, those that don't have a strong work ethic, that don't have a strong desire to succeed. That's essentially what socialism does. It creates two classes of society. You have the upper class, which is the leadership, and then you have everyone else, the workers, and no one in between. So socialism's first attack is always going to be on the middle class, which I'm going to assume most of you in this room are. That's where the attack point is. Also, we know that the middle class tends to be more conservative. Why? Because they have families in greater degree than than others sometimes in the upper class. The families are larger, they tend to be more conservative, and the middle class tends to be more Christian. So the strategy of socialist agenda, which is clearly coming out of Sacramento, is let's destroy the middle class. Because doesn't, don't you get curious once in a while? What is Governor Newsom thinking? Doesn't he care about the economy? It's just like, doesn't he care all these people are out of work? Doesn't he care all these, these businesses are closing? No, he does not. 
He does not, because that's not his mindset. Wow, it got quiet. Socialist policies such as wealth, taxes, additional regulations, and massive Green New Deal-like government programs. They estimate the, the New Green Deal, if it goes through, will cost every American $60,000. That's not to mention all the people that go out of business. You say, well, I want, a clean, I want clean water. I do too. But it depends on how you get there and at what cost. Goes on to say this. Maybe this is the most telling uh, paragraph in, this, in the article. Every country, every country from the United States, China, must participate. It's not optional. We're a global society now. We're not, an in, nationalism is no longer important. Must participate. Every industry from oil to gas to tech must be transformed, wrote Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of World Economic Forum. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. That's where our world is going. Wow. Is there good news in this? Yes. There's always good news. I like to retell this story because it's to me it's like the best story. I, I was in seminary and I was over at the gym playing basketball. It's when I was training for the NBA. Then they found I had a vertical lift of an inch and a half and I wasn't, it wasn't gonna work. I noticed the uh, custodian was sitting over against the wall and he was reading a Bible. Went over and I sat next to him and I said, what are you reading? He said, the book of Revelation. I'm, this is going to be interesting. You know, I'm a seminary student. I'm going to get in my master's degree here. Well, tell me, what's the book of Revelation about? Or what are you getting out of it? He said, we're going to win. I got up and said, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> Amen. We're going to win. We're going to win in the end. In the end. Revelation 18.2. Let me take you back. Babylon the Great is fallen. Remember, Babylon began, Genesis chapter 10. It goes through chapter 17, and then finally in 18, it's finally destroyed. Babylon is more than a place. Keep that in mind. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, has become the dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. By the way, when it talks about unclean birds in Scripture, it's not always talking about those who fly in the air. It's talking about demonic forces and spirits. For all the nations, look what it says, all the nations, we're right now toward the end of the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ will come. The second coming will come. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. We're in chapter 18, and look what it says. It says, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, who? Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich to the abundance of her luxury. Babylon is a spiritual, material mindset and force activated by the spirit world. It says it will be judged. Have you ever wanted something really bad and you really knew you shouldn't have it? Anybody relate to this? Let's just make it simple, a car. 
I'm always looking at cars I like. I got like nine cars I want to buy right now. My wife says, I thought you wanted the other car. I did yesterday. I, I mean, are, are anybody like this or not? It's just guys, right? And it's more fun to almost want it and to see yourself driving it than it is to buy it. Are, are you with me? Then you get it and you go, that's it? That's all I got? I remember one time we just wanted to get a, a new car for the first time in our life. New car. You know the new car smell? I didn't know you could buy stuff and spray in there and make it smell like that. But if you've had kids for very long, it doesn't work. I just want you to know that, all right? So anyway, I want to get a new car. So we get a new car. Oh, my gosh, this new car. I'm telling you, we had two young boys at the time. It took a month for it to smell like McDonald's French fries. Are you with me? I don't know what happened to the new car smell. Then, I'm, then I got a nick on it. Got a little, somebody opened the doors, black, black car, and got a little nick on it, you know, and, it, and they prime those with gray or white paint. That way you have to repaint the whole door. See, they're smart. Why not black undercoat paint on a black car? Because they don't make any money. I got this thing all figured out. I got dental stuff figured out, too. I'll tell you about that sometime. So I get this little dot, little dot on the driver's side, smaller than a dime. Every day I walked out, all I could see was the dot. Couldn't see the car. I developed the dot complex. You ever had the dot complex? That's all you see. I can't see anything. I try to sneak around the car so I wouldn't see the dot. I got a black magic marker. I covered up the dot. I tried everything to get rid of the dot. Then the dot was the wrong color black. I'm like frustrated with the dot. I developed the dot complex. It's all I could see. It was what was wrong. I was so frustrated with this car. You said, why didn't you paint the door? I was afraid that I'd have the whole door and have a door complex, not a dot complex. I'm driving home one day, kind of crowded. Car stops in front of me. I stop. Car behind me doesn't. Hits the back of me, rams me into the car in front of me. Happiest day of my life. <laughs> Amen. I got rid of the dot. You got to get rid of the dot. That's all there is to it. What's the dot in your life? What's keeping you from enjoying God? What are you fixated on? What do you want that just bypasses God altogether, just says Phil needs that, Bob needs that, Steve needs that, whatever your name is, put your name in there. What is it? You got, I got to have that. And you're fixated on the wrong thing. See, the Bible says nations will be judged, not just individuals. Whole nations will be judged. Think of that. Some nations will go into the millennial kingdom and some will not. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven... Just say that with me, the God of heaven, God of heaven. He will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, amen? I'm gonna be a part of that kingdom, how about you? Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. In other words, nobody's gonna come in and take that kingdom away. It shall break to pieces the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand, how long? Forever, forever, we're gonna win, amen? Revelation chapter one, verses eight, uh, four through eight, remember, you're blessed just by hearing this. Grace to you and peace from him who was, who is, and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. You say, I want to know about those seven spirits, and read Isaiah chapter 11, and you'll know more about them. 
who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the earth. Who's the ruler of all the kings of the earth? Jesus. Jesus. To him who loved us, who washed us from our sins. Isn't that good news? Some of you needed more washing than others, amen? Right? But we're all washed, we're all clean. Has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion. For how long? You see, we got a forever relationship with God. Forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. Do you realize that when Jesus comes back, Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, check it out, read it sometime, it'll bless you. He's coming from heaven with the armies of heaven, and it says every eye will see him. That means those who are dead, who pierced him, crucified him, they're gonna see him. Those who are alive, they're gonna see him. He's coming, every eye will see him, the scripture says, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. They're gonna go, why didn't we love Jesus? Why didn't we follow Jesus? Why were we so resistant to Jesus? Why were we so in love with this world and our stuff? And why did we let the dots get in the way of God? Why, why, why? They will mourn, even so, amen. And then Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first Last letter of the Greek alphabet. In other words, I'm the first and I'm the last and I'm everything in between. Amen? I am the beginning, I am the end, says the Lord, who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen, amen, and amen. God's always had a remnant that he protected, that he watched over. There was only eight righteous people on the earth in Genesis chapter six, God took Noah, separated him out, built the ark, rescued. Israel goes into bondage in Egypt. God has a remnant, he takes them out, he protects them by the blood of the lamb. All through scripture, God will always watch over those who love him with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. God never promises the hobbyists his protection. Don't make Jesus a hobby. Make him your Lord, amen? Lord of lords, King of kings. Today, the greatest thing can come from your mouth. He is my Lord, he is my King, amen? He is my Lord and my King. He is my daily Lord. I do what he wants me to do on a daily basis. If I fall down, I mess up, I get back up, and I say, Jesus is Lord. You're not perfect, in case you haven't noticed, but you are forgiven, and you can't ha aim in the right direction, amen? If you never believed on Jesus Christ, you've never received him as your Lord and your Savior, I don't want you to leave here, whether you're watching inside, outside, or online, I don't want you to miss this opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so as to be saved. The Bible says there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Jesus. I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'd like to invite you to pray this prayer. You can pray it out loud right where you sit right where you watch, right where you stand. And it's a prayer of faith, coming into faith in Jesus Christ. Just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins, that you were buried in a tomb, that you rose from the dead 
to give me life. By faith, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Holy Spirit, come into my heart and fill me. Empower me, guide me, give me wisdom to live out my life all the days of my life. If that was your prayer, thank him in your heart of hearts right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you saved me. And then get on the journey to follow him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Get on a journey to say, God, I want to I follow you everywhere I go. Amen.